the series of uh, John 6, uh, Christ the Manna from Heaven. And today I get the pleasure and the privilege to end the series uh, with you in John chapter 6. As many of you guys know, Pastor Omar and his family are enjoying some vacation and some sun uh, in Florida. So we'll pray for them uh, as well. Um, but as I say it every time, and it's not just a saying that I say, but it's really what I feel. Um, I stand before you in fear and trembling, uh, physically and spiritually also. Um, because it's, uh, it's, it's it, to handle the word of God and to preach, it's, uh, it takes a lot of work. And uh, we, we want to be as, as, as much as faithful as possible to what was originally intended for the original audience. So it's with fear and trembling that I stand before you. But um, um, before I start, I want to share, uh, I wanna share a, a brief story, a high school story. Uh, it's many, many years, many moons ago uh, of a story. I was in high school, it was 1998, many, again, many moons ago, and um, I was a senior in high school, and uh, it dawned on me that it would be a good idea to uh, graduate, right? It would be a good idea to actually graduate high school. Um, I was, I, didn't, I did not lead a, an exemplary life in high school, in junior high, and when it got to that year, my friends were graduating, I was like, it would be a good idea. Um, I needed two more credits to graduate, so one more class. I had done everything I could, night school, day school, Saturday school, Sunday school, any school that you can imagine for me to get two more credits. I didn't have any more available uh, until I saw this class that I wanted to avoid. This class is the home economics class, right? Home ec. How many of you guys remember that class? I don't know if they still have it. Uh, but it's a class that teaches life skills, right? Just basic life skills. Uh, but it was a class that a tough guy like me could not be associated with. I could not be in this class full of girls and doing laundry and all this stuff, nothing wrong with that, right? But back then, I had a reputation to uphold. Um, so I look at this class, I'm like, okay, how, can, how hard can it be? How can it possibly, I, I'm gonna go, suck it up, and in a few months, I'll be done and I'll graduate high school. It'll be, it'll be over quick. Needless to say that it was not what I had expected. It's not what I, what I thought it would. I had to learn how to cook and other, other things, but the, the thing that broke me was I had to carry a little egg that was dressed with little pants and a little hat all around. And that egg would be symbolized a little baby and I had to take care of it and all of that. I was a tough guy in school. I had a cool crowd. So I couldn't be with this little egg hanging around the whole day. Uh, so after maybe a few days, pride got to me and I said, um, I, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. So I quit. I quit and long story short, I graduated a year after. So you, you guys know what happened there. So why do I bring this? Because we, have, we all of us have those, I didn't sign up for this kind of moments, right? We probably had them in marriage. You guys that are married, I'm sure there's uh, daily reminders of I didn't, I, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, maybe raising your kids, there's times that it gets tough and you didn't sign up for this, right? Um, your jobs, relationships, your friends, family, that's a big one. Um, in church and even our walk with the Lord, we sometimes get to those moments of, I didn't sign up for this, not what I expected. So today as we finish chapter 6, we will see the response of the people that the Lord has been preaching to, that he's been ministering to, all throughout chapter 6. We'll see what the response is. And we will also see how the gospel embraced leads to a, a life change, a changed life. But it can also be a stumbling block uh, for those people that are striving in a, in, a, in a dead religion. They're living in a dead religion. 
Uh, to give a brief summary, I'm, I'm not going to go in depth because we've been going through chapter 6. Um, reminder of last week's passage, we were talking about Jesus teaching on himself as the bread of life. The physical atonement of Christ that brings life to us. The blood of Christ, the flesh of Christ, which is not the actual physical, but is the cross and is the blood, the atonement um, venue that, that gives us life for, for, for us all. As we begin today with uh, chapter, six, uh, um, chapter 6, verse 60 and 61, as Denise read, we are thrown into the aftermath. We're right in the middle of the, the, the response, the emotional response that the disciples and the crowds uh, receive as Jesus shares what he had to share. This section, uh, it references to many of his disciples, right? And they, they're distressed at hearing of what the Lord is telling them. Uh, so let's read real quick, verse 60, even though we read already. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense? Um, so uh, how can these be labeled as grumblers but also disciples? We saw a difference in that when Johnny preached in verse 41. He specifically highlighted these grumblers as being People that were against God, the Jews that were just coming against God. So how can these two now be the same people? Well, the text indicates that even though these people, they heard, they heard what Christ was saying, they failed to embrace, they failed to accept what he was saying, the words of Jesus. The word play here is very important and how, uh, how John used the words here. It reminds us that only hearing of words is not enough. There has to be obedience. Obedience is there. Only hearing of words uh, doesn't make a kid, a kid clean up his room. He has to actually do it, right? It's just he hears it and he goes out to play. That means nothing. So hearing of words is important, but embracing it, accepting it, understanding it, following it through. That's, that's what's important. James 1, 22 reminds us that. It says, um, be doers of the word. Do it. Accept it. Embrace it. Do it. Not only hearers, because only you, you'll be deceiving yourselves, if that is. The word for listen to here in Greek is akuo. It means to, to learn, to heed, to be called, to understand, to accept, and to embrace. So in essence, the people listening uh, this message, they not only misunderstand the spiritual impl implications of what the Lord is saying, but also they choose not to accept this message. It was a choice. It was they refused this message. And the word here, disciple, is also used here. And we think we know what it means. The Greek word for disciple is mathetes, which, which means student, follower, somebody that attaches himself to another person. And we, we tend to put a lot of uh, theological baggage to this word disciple. We complicate things so much when we talk about disciple. But in its simplest form, a disciple can be someone who follows Jesus literally, metaphorically, and spiritually. So literally, because they, for example, in chapter 6, they were following Jesus from one place to another physically. They would go point A, point B, different towns, different places. Metaphorically, because he, they acknowledged him as a prophet or a teacher, a wise teacher. So they would, they would uh, follow him because of that. But the spiritual aspect of the disciple wasn't there yet for these people. The spiritual aspect comes when there's belief. When you're filled with the spirit and there's belief and their eyes are open. 
Um, but I want to go through, um, break it down a little bit. Why was this message so hard to accept? What caused so much offense that caused them to leave and fall away? Well, let's go through few things that the Lord says in, uh, in the book of John so far as, as we've studied. First of all, he claims he is greater than Moses. So over and over again, we hear that, greater than Moses. And that's a great offense for the Jews and even for the people following him because to them, Moses is the mouthpiece of God. He, the, Moses spoke face to face with God. So this man is saying he's greater than, than Moses. That means he's calling himself God. He also said that he was the, the, the true flesh and the, true, the blood was his food. That was already offensive in a, in a, in a Jewish mindset because they, were, they couldn't drink blood or touch that body. So physically, they, that, couldn't, that couldn't happen. He claims to have the authority to forgive sin. So we see um, when, when he breaks the Sabbath and he heals that person, but not only heals them, but also forgives them of his sin. Only God can forgive somebody from sin. And in that same story, he, broke, he breaks the Sabbath, and then he calls God his father. So there's great offense coming to these people. Jesus cuts against the grain of their own expectations as Messiah. Today in our time, if uh, we want a lot of easy statements, nothing ever confusing, nothing ever controversial, nothing ever difficult, then Jesus is not the guy we're looking for. If today what you want in religion is all simple, straightforward, nothing disagreeable, nothing offensive, nothing that cuts to your heart, then Jesus is not the person you are looking for. If you have, Jesus, if you have a Jesus who never says anything difficult when you read the Bible, then this is not the Jesus that you're following. Um, today, sometimes when you read the Bible, if you don't, if you don't like fix reading something is difficult, you have to like kind of squint and, and change your posture, then there's something wrong. We could see here, for example, some examples I pulled out of some difficult things that the Lord has said in scripture. For example, in uh, Leviticus 10, we see uh, the story of Nadab and Abihu. I probably, I don't know if I said Abihu right, but it's okay. Nadab and Abihu, there was two young men. They were getting uh, ready for their ministry in God, ready to go. They light up an unauthorized fire. So it was a fire that the Lord did not allow. And the Lord kills them on the spot. That to me, that's hard, Lord. How do you kill them immediately? There was no mercy. And then Aaron, the father of Nahab and Abihu, has to go on ministry with their sons dead there. That's hard, Lord. There's no compassion there. How about when the Lord says in Luke 9, let the dead bury their dead? When when. One of Jesus' disciples says, Lord, I'll follow you, but uh, w wait a second. I got to go bury my dad. The Lord said, let the dead bury their dead. Wow, that's hard. That's hard, Lord. That's, that seems, that's, 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 there's no compassion. There's no love. How about in Luke 14 when he says, hate your father and your mother in order to follow me. You have to hate them in order to follow me. That's a hard saying. It's, it cuts you and you, it makes you kind of like get a little offended. How about us here? Has God ever told us? Something hard to swallow, hard to accept. Maybe not in the Bible, but in our lives. Maybe it's a relationship that you, that you thought, yeah, this is, this is a good relationship. And the Lord's like, no, that's not good. But why? Everything makes sense. It lines up. No. How about a job promotion or, or a move? Or maybe the healing of a loved one? No, that's, that's not my plan. But why, God? I don't understand. The crowd here 
acknowledges the difficulty of Jesus' teaching and then responds in this. And then Jesus responds in this way. In verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Jesus points them back to where he was before creation. He points them back. He was before. They would be so offended if they knew where Jesus was before this time with them. What Jesus is saying is before there was anything, before there was any matter, before there was even the time itself, he was before all things. And a, a, a verse that, uh, that paints a perfect picture is Colossians 1, 15 through 18. I want us to read it. It's, it should be on slides here. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. Who? Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. If they only knew where he was before, they would be so offended. It is like if Jesus is telling them, guys, I was there in the garden. I was there in creation. I was part of it. I created people. I was there. I was there with Noah in the ark, in the great flood. I was there. I was part of it. I was with Abraham walking in his journey. I was in the tent of meeting. I was in the temple. I was on the mountain with Moses. I was in the pillar of fire and in the plume of smoke. I was there. I was there in the burning bush. It was me. I gave you life. I created all of you and I gave you your law. I wrote the law for you, the Ten Commandments. If they only knew this would be great offense to them but even this is highly offensive to the crowd because now it's one thing that he's claiming to be greater than Moses but now Jesus is claiming to not only be the son of God but now he's claiming to be God the creator so greater offense he doesn't let up in other words what Jesus is saying if you think what I'm saying is hard to accept how will you ever begin to understand the crucifixion, and the resurrection. That's another level. If you can't believe what I'm saying now, you're not going to believe what's coming in a, few, in a few days. If this crowd was not convinced of the authenticity in Jesus, after hearing him for days, teachings, explaining his ministry, showing them signs and wonders, nothing will ever convince this crowd. Here with and what Jesus constantly does, he presents a very small front door for people and a big back door for people. He's constantly saying it's hard. The, narrow, the way to me is hard and it's narrow and it's difficult, riddled with problems. And you will, some of you even will lose your life. There's a huge back door. You can leave, right? Uh, but most of us would say, well, God, shouldn't it be like the diff a different way? We want to retain people. We want people to come. We don't want people to leave. Um, problem is that we're very inclusive. Uh, we say, anybody can come in. Come in. Come in. Anybody can come in. It's easy. Come to Christ. All your problems will be solved. You, you'll be prospered. You'll, be, you'll have a lot of money. You'll have a lot of friends. No issues. You, there's no need to change. There's no, never any challenge. Uh, just come as you are and stay as you are as long as you want. 
we tend to have a very um, big door in the front and a tiny back door. We want people to stay comfortable as much as possible. See, Jesus does the opposite. He's always saying, are you sure you want to be here? Do you really want to follow me? Are you sure? You're going to be hated for my name. Some of you will die. You'll be humiliated. You will be less, always. You'll be a servant. Are you sure you want to follow me? I don't even have a home. See, uh, we live in a culture of offense, right? It doesn't take much for us to get offended. Just let's turn on Facebook and we see who's offended today. What, what is the topic of offense today? We live in a very sensitive culture nowadays. Everyone is either offended or giving offense. But there's always something. It's like walking on eggshells. But you may say, well, the offense really is not Jesus. It's, you know, it's other things um, like sexuality. That's, that's, you know, sexual equality. Equality, differences between men and women. That's where the issues are. It's a racial injustice issue. That's where it is. See, men does the opposite. Man, we create false inclusivity, which means that everyone's included, but not Jesus. Everyone's included, but not the gospel, not the person that gives life. And those, he's a bigot. He's a racist. He brings division. We want everyone else in, but not Jesus. And that's how we live our life. We're fine with Jesus, but are we really? Uh, all those issues, whatever the issue of controversy is, the starting point is always Jesus. Jesus gives this crowd yet another reason in the coming passage uh, for their offense. He now turns to their flesh and who, who they, re they rely on. He says, next, you cannot follow me with your own wisdom and your own strength. Verse 63 says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So God's spirit Frequently appears in scripture, right? We see it, Old Testament, New Testament. He, he, he comes in as the source of life. Um, this concept is even more highlighted in the gospel of John. The spirit gives life. The spirit is life. The person of the spirit is there giving life. We see this in, in, uh, in, in the Nicodemus story. John chapter 3, verse 5 through 8. We see them. He, he, is, he gives the new birth. He is the one that breathes life in us so we can be born again. Then we see him as the life spirit, the giving water, the flowing water, water is the spirit. So now Jesus, what he does, he asks the person of the Holy Spirit uh, to this whole process of producing life. First he says, my father draws, my father draws people. I shall lose none, Jesus, you, you won't lose nobody. And now the spirit gives life. So we see here Father, Son, and Spirit working together to produce life within their own role in the Trinity. God's Spirit is the one who causes people to live twice. One, fleshly, naturally, and second, uh, to eternity. What Jesus meant in simplest forms is my flesh alone cannot benefit you. Stop thinking that I was telling you to eat my flesh and drink my blood, literally. That's not what I was saying. Now, what I was saying is like my flesh can't produce anything just as your flesh alone and your own abilities can't produce anything. It's through the spirit. But we're all tempted from time to time to rely on the flesh. And what do I mean by the flesh? It's those things, those talents, those crutches that we 
lean to to save us, to bring salvation, better better equality of life spiritually, such as intellect. Some of us we think we could we think ourselves through anything. Oh, I can figure that out. No problem. I don't need God. I I, I can figure it out. I'm pretty smart. You just gotta do this. Blah 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 blah. I got it. How about a very a very key one today, July 4th. We lean on our nation, right? Whatever nation you're from, but since we're living here in the United States, maybe you think, well, I'm an American, and I'm proud to be an American, the greatest country on earth, and I will rely on my nationality to produce me salvation, to produce me what I need. But maybe some of us lean on our good works. We tell Jesus or God, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not out there killing and robbing people. You know, I haven't had an affair. I'm married. Faithfully, I haven't had an affair yet. Um, and, you know, you know, you see, Lord, what I'm putting in the offering plate when they pass through. You, you can see. And, you know, I try as best possible to be a nice guy at work as much as I can. Trusting in our own wisdom and strength for salvation leads to eternal death. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 through 6. I want us to read that. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So how do we find life through the spirit? How do we do that? Well, no, we open the word, right? We open our Bibles. It's through what Jesus has said, the word made flesh, the the words made on the page for us there. It's no surprise that when you open your scripture, there's life. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. You open the scriptures, it's a jolt of life that you get. You have hope. You have joy. You have vision. You have love. Um, your anger subsides. Your lust leaves. You can focus on this life-giving person, the Holy Spirit. But we focus on culture. The culture produces death, rejection, oppression, depression, hate, violence. Jesus' words produce life. Now we see here, Jesus is faced with unbelief. These people are walking away from him. And what is his response to this? Verse 65, he says, and he said, this is what I told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. So the reason for such peaceful and astonishing um, response from Jesus, we don't see him agitated. We don't see him like begging people to believe. You got to believe me. He's not saying that. He's like, he responds very calmly and very uh, strangely. But he knows what? He knows he's, he has full understanding in the Father's involvement of salvation. He knows how it works. It's not through convincing, but it's the Father that draws us near to him. He knows that nobody can be attached to him unless the Father has made it possible. It's impossible. So the Lord is not surprised by rejection or rebellion. He knows what's in man, even before they respond. Salvation is solely due to God's initiative, initiative not ours. It's him drawing us near. The point is that Jesus is not surprised at rebellious people. He knows. But yet we see his mercy. Even though he knows they're going to rebel, he still preaches. And he still shows them love. And he still cares for them. And he's still willing to do signs for them. And feeds them bread and all that we've seen. This should be an important lesson for us. 
Jesus knows where we are at every time. He knows where we are at in our belief and our unbelief. Maybe today there's some of us here, some of you or some of us struggling with unbelief in some part of your life with the Lord. I want to tell you today, take heart. Jesus knows where you are at. He's not surprised. But maybe you are here today you, and, you, and you're in the fringes. You're outside and you've been wondering if, if this Jesus is, uh, is who he says he is. He is the way to life. And you're an unbeliever right now and you're, and you're looking from outside. I want to tell you, take heart. He knows where you are at. Chapter, I mean, verse 66, he continues, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Well, it says here that many, so not all leave, but many. To me, that tells me that there's a remnant. And the Lord is always faithful to keep a remnant. There's always faithful that he's going to keep. The church will continue. Even as persecution comes, even as people fall away, the church will continue. There will be faithful people. And we, we get to see that these faithful people were the 12. And they continue their life. They spread the gospel. And all of them were martyrs. Most of them were martyrs for Christ. Um, the question to ask here is, what did they turn to? These people that they left, who did they turn to? Well, not only did they go back to their ordinary way of living, daily pursuits, um, but they also went to their former way of thinking and living, trusting in themselves, trusting in their own knowledge. They were never intending to return to Jesus. And this is what turning away from Jesus really means, never intending to go back to him. I want to give you today an example on, on the slide here, a tragic illus illustration of what walking away from Jesus really looks like. And this gripped my heart this week, gripped me. And I had known about this guy, but I, I went in depth this week and to study, and oh, it really gripped my heart. Joshua Eugene Harris, I don't know, some, some of you guys know him or not, but super famous guy, American author. He was a former senior pastor. Um, well, um, he was very well known among evangelicals, uh, great author in um, theology. He was in ministry for 18 years, 18 years. Most of the, those years he was a pastor. And I want to share this quote. It says, I have undergone a massive shift in regarding to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I'm not a Christian. I do not view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. That hurts. That's hurt. That hurts so much after 18 years preaching the gospel, knowing the gospel, knowing the truth, the life walks away. We praise the Lord that God used him in his path to minister to people in his sovereignty. Uh, but we know that this guy here, he knows the Bible very well. He knows the gospel inside out. But the root issue is that he no longer trusts in Christ as Savior. He no longer trusts in Christ as the bread of heaven. He doesn't have that anymore, and we pray that he would return. The fact of the matter is that Jesus says hard, hard things. That he does. Um, he says things that will form stumbling blocks in us. The words here in this verse, no longer walk with him, paints a real picture 
of what embracing the Jesus of the Bible is and walking the gospel out. Walking with Jesus, really walking with Jesus in this journey will many times cost us our friendships, our lives, our jobs, our dreams, opportunities, our physical life, fame, money, social status. No, but, but all of this, to be, to be with him far outweighs all these other things. That's the real cost of discipleship. We see this. But he's always with us, even till the end. He says it. So why is the gospel a stumbling block? Why is it offensive even till this day? Well, I want to give you two reasons. One, we pride ourselves in our accomplishments here on earth, right? We boast in our accomplishments and the things that we've done. And it's great. It's all about me. We, we, want, we say we're functional members of society. But a short version of that, what we say is, I don't deserve punishment. I've done nothing wrong in the first place. I'm good. So I don't deserve that. And also, we, we love to consider ourselves self-sufficient. Grab the life by its horns or do things on your own. Survival of the fittest. The, the idea of, of requiring help, being helpless, uh, scares us. Uh, and we don't want it. He says, I'm not helpless. I don't need any help. I'm good, God. I'm good. I'll figure it out. Here, what Jesus is, is doing is he's going to use this test, this exodus, mass exodus. People are leaving him by the thousands. He's going to test his closest followers. It's going to be an opportunity for them to confess uh, their faith. So Jesus says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? So Jesus, as we see, he has no problem sifting. He's always sifting and thinning out his ranks, even amongst his 12. Bigger isn't always better. Smaller doesn't always mean that we're failing. So I want to paint a picture here. Re the Jesus asked him, do you want to go away? So this is what I thought. This is one opinion. This, uh, this is my own personal opinion. We see Jesus telling these people this. They're leaving. And we know there's thousands of people following him. So there's stampede of people leaving. They're not leaving. They're not taking their stuff. Okay, goodbye. There's anger. We know there's some people that want to kill him here. So they're violently leaving. And in the midst of this turmoil, I think the Lord turns around to his 12. He's like, do you guys want to leave me? And there's like pandemonium happening all around them. So there at that moment, the disciples, they have to make a choice. Is this man the Messiah? And it brings us to Peter's great confession. I think is the climax of the story, the climax of chapter 6 is Peter's great confession. And we can relate to Peter a whole lot. Verse 68 says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter's response reminds us of a similar exchange that happened in Matthew. Uh, we see as there's people, there's disciples there. And Jesus asked, asked Peter, who, who, do, who do the people say I am? Who do the people say I am? And then filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter confesses and says, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, bless you, bless you. But, but flesh didn't reveal that. It was my father that revealed that for you. So who is Peter? We know him a little bit. But I, po I pointed out some, some things that, that make him a, a more relatable guy. Peter was a fisherman. So not a great position, right? Fisherman was just a, a regular dirty job. It was, uh, you know, not high academically. Um, he often, he was a hothead. 
He spoke when he, he didn't think before he spoke. He just, he just spoke. He was a hothead. He fell asleep at the garden when Jesus told him, hey, can you, can you, can you at least stay up for an hour? And no. He, he, so he fell asleep. Not reliable. He chopped off the ear of the high priest's um, slave, right? Violent. Quick to temper. His temper, his views just goes. He also denied Jesus three times. And he was inconsistent. He walked on water, but then he realized he was on water, so he would drown. Inconsistent. But this is the man who gives the answer. And a glorious answer, as we will see. He uses the plural because he represents uh, the 12, but we know that one of them is a deceiver, so not him. And, 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 and Simon Peter answers the Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? I think Peter is faced with the fact that now things are going to get really real. There's people that hate Jesus and they want to kill him. And now he's associated with Jesus and they're probably going to want to kill him. But he's like, but you have the words of life. You are life. Where can we go? See, we are fragile people that need to go always to someone. We need to rely on someone. We can't stand alone. We can't be alone. What Peter is saying is like, Lord, there's nowhere else to go. No one satisfies my yearning of the heart. No one satisfies this. I can go somewhere else and I could be at peace, but my heart will be in trouble. I can't. You have the words of eternal life. Peter adds, and we have believed and we know. So he's saying we have begun to believe, but now we are still believing. We're believing. It's a process. So even a process of like, there's, there's a process in belief. It's not sudden, but there's, yeah, there's a sudden belief that he's the son of God. But there's, you know, you, we're going to find some doubts around the way. We're going to find some things that offend us around the way. But it's, he's believing. He's going through it. But he says, you are the holy one of God. Which he's, Jesus is now confessed to be the holy one, the consecrated one unto God to fulfill his messianic task. He is God's holy one. Belonging to God and appointing to God. This was a very meaningful statement. Because what he's saying is that Jesus is not just another holy man. Not another prophet. But now he's the holy one. He's the one sent from the father to show us the father. And he's the one to be our way to the father. So he's, he's calling him God. And this is a glorious uh, statement. And why is it a glorious statement? For us, it might be like, but yeah, we know, we know, yeah, Jesus, we know Jesus is God. We have the scripture, we have hymns, we read it, we know. But Peter did not know his theology back then. He was going through it. He was seeing Jesus. Now, let's think about it. They saw Jesus. They walked with Jesus, the disciples. And as far as they could tell, he had a mom and he had a dad. They probably met the mom and dad. Probably had, you know, whatever pita bread together. I don't know. They, they, have, they probably broke bread together. One thing that struck out to me, Jesus most likely looked like his parents on earth. He, he looked like them. So he's like, how can this be God? He looks, he looks just like them. He, he doesn't look, his face not shining constantly. I don't understand. He was probably a dark, olive, olive tan man. He was a tan man. Middle Eastern. He had a name like them. That name was very popular. It wasn't a spe special name. He, that was his name. Other people had his name as well. Uh, they saw him fall asleep like him. They saw him eat like him. They saw him 
used the restroom like him. They, used, they saw him uh, cry like him and laugh like him. Um, so this was a man. He's like, this was a man. They say, and Peter's like, well, this guy, he looks like he, loves, he looks like us. He speaks like the same. Um, you know, he doesn't have any angels singing as soon as he comes in the synagogue. Or he doesn't have, like, the hallelujah chorus behind them. There's not a, a shining light that comes and the, the heavens open. Um, he seems to be just like us. Peter here represents all of those who receive Jesus Christ at his word and believe him. Peter represents us. We've never seen Christ physically, but we've, we've known him. We've seen him. We believe he is. And it brings me to 1 Peter 1.8, one of my favorite verses. And it's, though you have not seen him, now you love him. Though you have not seen him, now you believe in him. Oh, that's us. We are like Peter. He wasn't sure, but he was like, this guy is God. He, he he has the word of life through the spirit being revealed. So to me, it's an astonishing thing what Peter would say. That you have the words of eternal life. We have come to know and we believe as much that as you are like us, God, you are not like us. That was Peter's statement. Although I see all evidence that you are like us, you are not like us. You are the holy one of God. The creator of the heavens and the earth. The firstborn from the dead. The majestic. The Messiah. The one that comes and brings atonement to our life. The one that brings peace and joy and hope and eternal hope in this hopeless world. You are God. So how do we apply this for us today? Well, it's simple. The message of the gospel of Christ is a stumbling block. It's difficult. There's times that it's Easier to walk away. Um, why? Why is it difficult? Well, it strikes us at, at our root. Self-righteousness, rebellion towards God, our self-reliance. We want to do things our way. We want to do things better. To receive Jesus as our Lord, we have to humble ourselves. And we have to do what Peter does. If God can take someone like Peter, Peter's just as sinful as us. Nothing different. The same but he opens Peter's heart and he deposits belief. He deposits the Holy Spirit. And his eyes are open. He confesses with his mouth the Lord, that the Lord is Christ, that the Lord is God. So we us. The gospel embraced leads to a changed life. I'm a testimony that the gospel embraced leads to a changed life. Never in since 1998, what I think I would be preaching in a Presbyterian church in Garwood. I didn't even know Garwood existed. And a different person. So even as I'm writing this sermon, brought to tears of the change of an embraced gospel. But it's been hard. There's been times of quitting, times we want to go. But the Lord is there. He's always, he's there. I'll, I'll, I'll be with you. Come, come, I'll be with you. He leads us as the shepherd in Psalm 23, the great shepherd. He leads us. He leads us to, to great pastures, to clean land. So what can we do to embrace this gospel? Well, there's three things that we see here painted. It's a beautiful picture. Peter acknowledges Christ, that he is eternal life. That he understands, although God looks just like him, Jesus looks just like him. He's not like him. He's God. 
He has the key of eternal life. He is the source of our life, or of content, uh, contentment, and all that we're hoping and looking for in this life. There is belief that bubbles up inside of him, which is trust in him in this life. That we can trust him with our marriages. We can trust him with our kids. We could trust him with our singleness. We could trust him with our sickness. We could trust him when those things are falling apart in our life and we don't see the light of day. We could trust him. He is the giver of life. And then there's a response of worship. Peter gives a response. He ascribes beauty and tells him, you are, you are first in my heart. Godship. You are the head. You are worthy. You are holy. You are preeminent. You are forever. There's, there's a response of Peter. He knows what's coming. He knows it's going to be difficult. He knows people hate him. He knows the rejection and humiliation. He knows his own personal weaknesses. But he responds. It's like, I worship you, God. I love you, God. So today as we end, and as we end chapter 6, that's a response. Let's acknowledge God. Let's believe and worship and really cry out wherever you are in your life with the Lord and your belief, whatever level of belief you are. If you're struggling with believing certain things, certain doctrines, or certain certain verses, or even your life, even even maybe you that that you've been out in the fringes, you are an unbeliever. And you've been if you're looking, you've been looking to different sources, and you're there's something in your heart saying, Shush, is this is this God the real God? Yes, I tell you. But take heart, He is with you. So today I want to ask us to stand, please. And I want to ask you, um, we want to respond in prayer. So I'm going to have um, the elders here in the front. And we're going to ask people to come up and pray if you feel ch- uh, led to. We want to invite you to respond to this sermon. If, uh, however it is, maybe the Lord is doing something in your heart. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe it's offense, maybe self-reliance. Uh, I don't know. We've gone through so many different things. Uh, but maybe you need prayer today for healing, spiritual, emotional, mental. Or even maybe you have a word to share with one of our elders pertaining to the sermon, pertaining to, to encourage uh, the church today. Uh, please just come up as we sing. But if you don't want to come up, that's okay also. Let's respond to the Lord. We all struggle with some area of unbelief in our, in, our, in our life. The apostles did as well. But there's always the truth. So, Father, we thank you.